Welcome to the Leaders Table podcast, where policy leaders share the inside stories of their impact on the world, and we capture the secrets behind their success to help you increase yours. Education, diversity, and equity, core American issues. What are the things that I should be pushing for to inspire a movement? Let's, let's dig into that. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Jason Jordans, here with your awesome producer, Molly Stevens. Here on the Leaders Table podcast, it's our job to dissect leaders in policy and education to dig into the practices, tools, tips, and actionable strategies of their success to help empower you. This episode, we're joined by the powerful and inspiring Jada Drew, facilitator and international diversity trainer. Jada is also a lead social justice consultant and owner of Social Designs, LLC. Jason, you and I have seen Jada's magic in action and exploring identity and leadership. So sharing this conversation with others sort of feels like we're opening a gift for the world. Yes. And in a time when diversity seems a dirty word, Jada is light in a dark place. She's a change maker in her own right, whose training and coaching helps leaders to be their best selves in order to do better work in realizing diversity, equity, and inclusion goals. And here's the thing, Jada's just amazing here on how she primes her spirit for the day. Hearing her talk about how starting her day with meditation, reflection, and exercise to cultivate inner calm and carry that through her work is just the kick that I needed to make my practices more regular. Yeah, and this was one of the first interviews we recorded for the podcast, so you might hear some shakiness or nervousness on the part of yours truly here, but this interview is a true joy with a transformative thinker. Um, And with that, let's listen to Jada Drew at the Leader's Table. So Jada, thanks for for joining us on the podcast. I wanted to start inviting me. Yeah, thanks so much for for spending a little time with us. So I wanted to start with the words of D'Angela Carter to to introduce you. She says you're an advocate for youth and social justice uh, justice and a powerful change agent. She says that you're relentless in your quest to bridge gaps in learning and growth for underrepresented youth by creating experiences that build leaders of tomorrow through cultural competency, leadership, and service. I also know that your company, Social Designs, offers consulting and training in multiculturalism, global education, and executive coaching for organizations and individuals ready to create more inclusive environments. I also know personally, because I've been in your trainings, that you are the real deal when it comes to driving diversity, inclusion, and and meaningful conversations about equity. I've seen you personally change hearts, minds, and brains, um, and perhaps even make some people cry in some really good ways. One of my favorite things, Jada, that I've uh, come across about you is, is, is see, watching a video with you talking about leadership. Um, you talking about using music and tools to help people step outside of their norms and, and kind of driving people to be 
their best self, their best selves. And you ended that talk by by saying, or by saying something to the effect of, "Step what's into, step into what makes you magical." So Jada, mm-hmm. let's start there. Tell us a little bit about what makes Jada Drew magical. Well, that was a great intro. I feel like I'm on overshow. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I think what makes me magical is just that. You know, I like to laugh. I love to to have a good time in everything that I do, even in things that I think most people would deemed to be stressful um, or non-conventional, like talking about diversity and equity and inclusion or even conflict. Like, I always try to bring a corny joke. Um, as you know, in the beginning of the trainings, I always say one of the rules is to laugh at a corny joke, which makes people, people laugh. So <laughs> um, I really like to bring in laughter and fun and a spirit of laying back because, at the end of all of our days, I think it's important for us to walk away with whatever we're doing, smiling, loving on each other, and loving on ourselves. So my magic is creating an atmosphere of fun, of laughter, um, and of just human connection. Mm-hmm. And I'm always amazed that you're able to, to really push people to dig in on really hard conversations, engage uh, challenge themselves, challenge a group. Where did you get the gravitas? Where did you? Where does that come from? That you're able to to both design, facilitate, and create change for people right in front of you in real time, not knowing what they're all bringing into the room. Hmm. Where did I get it? Um. That's a good question, Jason. I I think I got it from honestly. There's a a thing that my family does is called cracking jokes <laughs> and building <laughs> building thick skin and it's a training um I believe that we all go through in my family. So if you don't have thick skin, if you can't create a comeback that <laughs> defends yourself in a funny way, in, you know, a down to earth way, then, you know, it's it's hard to survive, right, within my family. So, honestly, I think, you know, it came from being a part of a family that just knows how to relax, have fun, but then also train. Like, it's a, a huge training ground to make sure that when you are um, being, when you're talking to someone, um, when you're in conversation, to know to know your stuff, <clears throat> excuse me, to know your stuff, one, and then, two, to be well-researched. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's where it comes from when I really think about it. Outside of that, I have had some amazing mentors who I've had the opportunity to shadow. And I'll actually name a few. So Jorge Sapayo, Holly Wilson, um, Sakina Hamlin, Monica Walker, Dina Hayes, um, Al Hagen, James Shields, just to name a few. And these people have um, led so many people all over the world in having conversations about social justice and about change and the way that each person has done the work. I think I've gained skills from each one of them to put in my gumbo of, of tools and tricks. And so from being diplomatic to being, you know, 
being in a place to call a spade a spade, to allowing people to sit in silence, even though it's uncomfortable, it's healing. So all of these things I've um, been able to pick up over the years and being very, very fortunate to be surrounded by folks who've been doing this work for a very long time. And for me, it's amazing. to be able to shatter them at a very young age. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, it's amazing that you're able to truly build a lifestyle and, a, and work around something that's just so very close to your, your spirit, your heart, and your mind. I know that you've done, done this work at Guilford College um, at a, a really renowned academic institution, and now you're doing a lot more kind of large not-for-profit and corporate work and even international training work. It's a type of, of, of lifestyle and the type of kind of work-life integration that, that everyone would want. How did you get there? And, and I'm curious about uh, how, you, how you found those mentors that have helped you to build this, uh, build this career around yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a firm believer of <clears throat> writing it down and making it plain. When I was about to graduate from college, I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew I wanted to travel. I knew I wanted to make communities better. Um, and I knew I wanted to do it in the capacity of education, but I didn't want to be a teacher. And so I sat down, you know, when you're about to graduate from college, everyone's asking you, what are you going to do? When are you going to work? What's next for you? <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. But I wrote those things down. Um, I remember sitting in my apartment. I wrote them down. And um, I decided at that moment that these are the things I want to do. And I believe that the universe was able to bring those things to me because I stayed open, because I tried different things. So building a career that is connected to your passion and that's connected to your lifestyle is about writing it down and making it plain and also creating a plan. So I didn't just write down what I wanted to do, but I charted out how I was going to do it with the resources and the connections that were afforded to me. And then thirdly, I I went out of my way and took leaps to volunteer for things, to gain different experiences to step outside of my comfort zone as much as possible. Um, and that, I think, set me up in this space of um, where I am today. Mm-hmm. So you, as a, as a kid, you kind of come up in this crucible of, of, of developing a tough skin. You, you start to develop your skills of, of navigating this social world. You go off in, into the, the professional world and start to be very intentional and bring both your spirit and your brain together to build a career. I, I find that I find that fascinating. And I also one of the things I'm curious about is when you re- wrote down what it was that you wanted. Do you remember some of the earliest iterations of that? Like, do you do you remember some of the words that you wrote down? And and what did you do with the, that stuff when you wrote it down? Did it sit on your refrigerator? Was it in the bathroom mirror? Uh, you know, did it say Jada Drew? world-renowned change agent and trainer <laughs> and academic. And every time you're brushing your teeth, you're like, yes, I'm reading this. This is, this is real. How, what did you do with it? Uh, you've been watching being Mary Jane. That's what she does. Um, I didn't do that, though. I didn't put up anything on my mirror. What I did, I had a bunch of notebooks. I remember having all kinds of notebooks with ideas and plans. And in that particular moment, I actually wrote down, you know, the question, what do you like to do? And my answer was, I like to design uh, curriculum. I like to design spaces. I like to design experiences. And so um, 
one of my best friends, she and I were kind of just talking about our future, and she was like, oh, so you're, like, into social stuff, but not a social worker and, like, a curriculum designer, but, like, not a teacher. So, like, social design. I was like, oh, I like it. (laughs) So (laughs) I actually wrote that down, and I think it was 2007, 2008, I, like, started writing down what a website would look like. I started writing down the training that I had already done. And see, the thing about it is I've done a lot of training in college connected to social justice. So it just didn't happen after graduating. It was the experiences that I was connected to through a scholarship program called Bonner Scholars Program. And so I took note of things I've done, took note of things that I did very well, and also took note of the things that I want to learn more about to develop those next steps. And I just stayed and, and sticked, I, I stuck with it. And now it went from actually social design by Jada. <laughs> so it's just social design consulting um, currently. Mm-hmm. And it, it, um, I wonder if you, as you look back, if you think about how you get there, was there, was there a moment that made it real? Like, was there that this one thing, can you point to this one thing, this one person, this one period of time where you said, yeah, this is, this is what I'm doing. This is, this is real. I've made it and I'm not going to go back or I'm not going to go and do, do something else that's less connected to my, to my dreams or my passions. Mm-hmm. I would say, yes, there were two, two moments. So the first moment was when I realized that I had a um, a really I was that's what I could think about is banging <laughs> I had a real mm-hmm. like I had a banging skill set to mm-hmm. connect people to their identities in order to create a high level of self esteem that mm-hmm. translated then to productivity. And I realized that when I was a student for student coordinator through AmeriCorps VISTA, and I had to create an ESL curriculum for an international school and also a curriculum for um, your standard demographic U.S. school. And I found that the ESL track, the module that I was given to, to, to aid um, in the way that I was training my volunteers, that it wasn't working. And so I went back and I looked at a, um, a report that I did in college that was called Changing the Face of America's Youth. That was the name of the program. And so I pulled from this whole program the curriculum that was identity-based. It was triangulation with the community, um, family, and the person, um, and identity. And I began to implement that training and train our volunteers to do so. And I saw a huge, 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 huge change in how students were able to connect to the community, how they began to believe in themselves, and that was an aha moment for me. The second aha moment, and that was connected to an actual job. The second aha moment was when I pitched the idea to an alum of Guilford College to let me come and train his staff, and I would do it for free. I did a three-hour training on cultural competency for, I believe it was the the YMCA, and it was really good. Like the conversations that were moving, the um, the way people wanted to learn more, the breakout groups, the scenarios. I mean, it was. It, people said it was so much not only fun, but they learned a lot that they could apply. And at that moment, I realized that this was something that I would love to do for for the rest of my life. 
What a great story about learning, experimentation, um, realizing that what you're doing has value. That that's 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 really awesome to hear. Um, so Jada, you are um, six, you are very very successfully driving leaders to think about diversity. And in many ways, diversity is is kind of gotten a bad rap these days. It's like almost become a bad word. And it's interesting in that, you know, in the 1960s, it only took, or I should say, not maybe not say only, but it it, it took uh, a couple of um, of horrifying images of black people being hosed by by police officers on a street to change the national conversation like that, right? Mm-hmm. And today we have video after video of 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 police violence, of of violence on black people, of 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 police misconduct, of or of conduct that at least deserves a meaningful conversation about justice. And it just seems like it's it's really hard to to kind of snap the nation out of it or snap anybody out of it to say, yeah, this is everyone's problem. This is our issue. I wonder what you think about that and why you why do you think that we're living in this space where even video evidence does not um does not change conversation and I'd like to I'd like you to reflect a little bit about around the ideas of of how the rest of of America seems to be um either turning away from or 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 not grappling with these ideas around diversity, equity and inclusion as as just core American issues. What what's going on there? Hmm, that's a good question. I would actually argue that the U.S. doesn't want to talk about diversity. I believe that diversity is something that we pride our country on. Our country is diverse. We have people from all over the world. We have a history of the, quote, melting pot, unquote, and come to the United States and you can thrive whoever you are because we are diverse. Now, that is something that began to come about in the 80s, specifically in corporate, right? I would say late 70s, early 80s, because the corporate world began to see the power of globalization, the power of connecting to people who were coming to the United States and tapping to their expertise, and because we were on the the front line of becoming the most diverse country in the entire world. And if we weren't going to invite a diverse group of people into our spaces, one, we would lose out on a lot of intellectual creativity. Two, we wouldn't serve the community best because we wouldn't be able to um, tap into the expertise from an identity-based lens, right? So the United States doesn't have a problem with diversity. The United States has a problem with equity, with inclusion, We're talking about anti-racism and talking about black anti-racism. We're talking about social justice. We're talking about anti-oppression because those things that I just mentioned, they're rooted in debunking and pushing against capitalism. And so the conversation that doesn't happen as much as I think it should is how can we create and how can we not just talk about diversity how can we talk about equity? And to talk about equity, you have to bring up the past. You have to talk about power and privilege. I'm very um, privileged in so many ways, but I'm also connected to communities that are marginalized, right? And so in that space, 
how can I come to a conversation and talk about both sides in a way that really gets to the laws and the practices and the policies that have been put in place to sustain a country that was built on colonialism, a.k.a. the fact that our country was built on killing, (laughs) genocide of Native Americans, stealing of land, and basically having enslaved Africans along with other um, groups to come into the United States and, you know, quote-unquote, work for free. So the conversation is that people are afraid to have, Jason, is less about diversity but more about equity. Um, I'll mm-hmm. stop there and have a lot more to say, but I'll stop there in case you wanted to ask Well, let, let, let's dig into that a little bit. I'm, I'm curious about what is that, what that means from a policy perspective. So, you know, if I'm a newly elected state, state official or if I just got to a school board, um, if I am a parent, you know, with a child in school, what what are the things that I should be pushing for to realize equity, uh, to drive inclusion, to drive just a, a a better, more inclusive society? What what does that agenda look like? Mm-hmm. I think that agenda looks like a few things. One, really unpacking what the community looks like and doing what the um, People's Institute calls a foot analysis which shows you what exists in the community and where these things exist, and then backtracking to the question of how. So I'll use Greensboro, North Carolina, for example. In Greensboro, on the west side, you have Guilford College, Wildwood School, you have Harris Theater, every other block on the east side of town, and predominantly white. Um, predominantly upper class. On the east side of town, you have, and all this is just for our railroad track and, and the MLK road or drive in many cities in the U.S. Um, you have no, well, I would say, yeah, no Harris Teeter. You have less um, opportunities to get fresh food, right? You have more liquor stores than you have actual banks. In those communities, you don't have banks, really. You have check cashing places. So when you think about, when I think about equity, I think about how a community is mapped out in a way that creates or perpetuates continual poverty. Where there's poverty, there's violence. Where there's, you know, uh, uh, affluence, there's great education. And so if we're not unpacking a community to see what the foot analysis looks like, Um, I think we're doing a disservice as leaders. And then the how gets to the policies and the practices that were put in place historically for us to have not only segregated communities, but communities that are different based on um, economics. So Mm -hmm. for leaders that are driving policy, we really have to take a step back and ask the question, why and how did this come to be? And go into the community and ask people what they need, ask people what they want, so that can inform um, policy change. That sounds to me like the answer is really a ground-up solution and, and, and could look very different in different communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'd like to make the, that the, you said it was a foot analysis. Is that what, uh, what you called it? Uh, yeah, for the analysis. I'd love to see if we can make that make that resource available in the notes for people who who want to know more about how that works or have want seek a want to find a new tool to understand what can be done in their communities or even understand what's going on or what's happening in their communities. Um, so I'd love to love if we can make that available. Um, so Jada, when 
when leaders come to you, you know, someone just got elected or someone's leading in a community, and they say, Jada, I just, you know, I'm tired and um, I'm tired of hearing about the problems. I want to find some some practical solutions. I uh, I'd like to drive my community towards something, toward a a bigger vision toward toward tearing down some of the the walls that have have created inequity, have created schools that that are underserving people uh, on this side of the community that um, that live in violence or live in a in a space that's that's not humane versus folks that that are surrounded by Harris Teeters. Where where do you start? Where how do you do you where do you start the conversation? Where do you start the work with them? How does that how does that begin? Mm-hmm. So like I mentioned earlier, the work that I do is from an identity-based space. So the first questions I always ask is like, what is your role, whether positive or negative, in the problem? Because mm-hmm. I feel like we all have a role. Mm-hmm. And when we begin to unpack it, we can, I think, be more intentional as leaders. Because so even change, change agents that care have a role in the in the problem, too? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, from there, the next step is to find the community leaders and ask what has already been happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then knowing your role, right? So, are you a community organizer? Are you a public speaker? Are you a teacher, a trainer? Are you someone who has influence? In my, um, in my book, Revolutionize Now, there's a section that we talk about, like, where's your squad? So if you're moving towards change, then you need to evaluate who's in your squad and who can you connect with to move towards that um, change or to drive that change. Um, I'm not a community organizer. I travel so much, so, you know, the definition of community organizer doesn't connect to what I do. I'm a trainer and facilitator and able to, you know, agitate things in certain ways if I choose to, but I, you know, go into spaces and help build the capacity of organizations and communities. So where is your role? And I think when people, um, particularly, you know, our members, high members, shout out to our members, when our members are thinking about change in the community, how long are you expecting to be in that community? What investment do you have in that community outside wanting to just run for office or just um, want to do policy change? But are you rooted there? Are your tax dollars there? Um, do you go to community meetings? Do you lead community me- meetings? You know, what does your, your call log look like? Is it as diverse as you talk about you want the world to be? So unpacking your own ish <laughs> is important. Um, your power, your um, your privilege, your all those things, and then connecting to the community and, and staying in your lane and, and doing your research. Absolutely. By the way, Revolutionize Now is a great guide for people who are who want to dig more into these things. We're going to make that available in the in the notes as well. Here, Revolutionize Now is your book that is seeking to to inspire a a a movement, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I've just been doing a lot of. Um, quote-unquote social justice work in higher ed and with different um, organizations and, you know, international work here and there. And I think it's important to talk about, I thought it was important for me to just tell my story of where I am and where I come from. So anybody that <laughs> that meets me or if I do a train, I would say I'm Jada Drew from the 252, which means I'm from uh, <laughs> Northeastern North Carolina. 
<laughs> and, you know, I carry that with me everywhere I go. And so much of the book is just sharing what it was like growing up in Rich Square, North Carolina, and how my family was a huge foundation in the way that I look at giving back to communities and being part of change. And then also a lot of the struggles. So, you know, the questions that you've asked, you know, how did you get to this point? Or, you know, you know, what were the things that you wrote down or some habits? But the thing is, in doing social justice work, actually in doing any work and moving toward your career, it's hard. It gets hard. It gets, um, I get known sometimes, Jason, just looking at the news and these hashtags, and I feel like I'm not making any change. I feel like I can't do anything. I feel like nothing's going to change. I feel like um, my business isn't bringing in enough income for me to be able to sustain myself and be healthy. So there are so many moments where, honestly, I wish I wasn't so, quote-unquote, woke or aware of these issues so I could just live my life and be happy and be free and talk about what was on TV last night. Um, Sometimes I do. I sit and I wish that because it gets to be very depressing. And um, if we don't find spaces to talk about it, if we don't find spaces to vent um, and to just allow the sadness, um, as change agents, you know, that's very dangerous, you know. So, you know, I don't know what, what question that was coming from. But I think it's important for change agents and, oh, the book. So I talk about that. I talk about my journey, what was hard, um, ways to, to move into change, ways to take care of yourself, because I think that's important, too, um, and ways to connect to, to other people and to be outside of just yourself and doing this work. You know, interesting. On that note, I wrote I read an article of yours talking about airplane etiquette. Um, mm-hmm. You talk about the, the lessons and connections that can come from being very present when smushed into a big, um, a big metal tube at thirty thousand feet. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so you know you're about to get on the airplane. I know for right. me, I think, oh, who am I going to sit beside? Am I going to have enough leg space? Oh, I just want to take a nap. <laughs> so, right. um, but you're in space. You're in community, very intimate space with someone. And if you take him, but I've taken advantage of the fact that I'm able to create a relationship. So much comes out of that time. Um, I've met uh, recently. I met a woman um, with um, her her um, background. Her family's from India, and she is an optometrist. And we were talking about diversity. We we're also talking about what it means to be women leaders and we start talking about different restaurants in our city. <laughs> so it was just a great connection. Um, I met another um, guy who does like fitness things and he used to play in the NFL. And so I realized that when I keep my headphones in and when I'm so stuck on myself, I don't gain as much as I could gain in life in general. Right? Like even when you're walking in the city and you have your headphones and you can't even enjoy the hustle and the bustle, the noise and the, the, the vibes that come from being in a space. But when you unplug, so much comes, you know, so much comes when you unplug. And like I said earlier, when you set something up and you say, oh, I want to gain from the universe, it happens. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting just being around you a bit over the last several months. I just, I think that your bigness and openness of of spirit is probably one of the most important aspects of your of your success. You have the intellectual background, you have the tools to move people, 
but it's your spirit, Jada, that I've uh, that I just I've really come to appreciate, and uh, and I hope that anybody watching this podcast, uh, excuse me, listening to this podcast, will uh, will watch some of your videos and invite you to come be a trainer with them, or just invite invite you to come fellowship with their group because uh, I know that your just your presence is transformative. So I want to thank you for that personally. Well, thank you, Jason. That means a lot. Thank you so much. So I just at, we're coming at the toward the end of the the interview here, and I wanted to just ask you a couple of questions about how you do what you do. So I'm curious about a couple of things. Uh, start with um, with what's the one app, or if it's not an app, maybe a pro- productivity tool, a journal, a thing that you use that is absolutely indispensable for, to you in keeping it all together in managing all the aspects. Of of being Jada Drew, of doing all the things that you do. Hmm. So, I will say. Oh, actually, one thing. Okay, one thing. I have three, but I'm trying to narrow it down just for you, Jason. <laughs> I would say, as far as I, okay, I'll do the technology thing. So I am very active. <laughs> active. I get bored really easy. So I love this little handy-dandy timer. I'll put my timer on 20 minutes, and then I'll do, like, emails. And then when the timer goes off, I'll just, like, get a snack or do some crunches or work outside. Then I'll put the Mm. timer on again, and it might be for 30 minutes when I'm, you know, carving out some curriculum. And I'll just work on it. No Facebook, no social media, uh, no text messages, just work on it. So my one thing is using that as a way to stay focused because I love to multitask, but I've learned that multitasking um, really drains the brain and you're not as effective in everything that you want to do. So that's one of the things I use. Very simple. Mm. What's, a, what's a second just while, uh, while I have you? That's a really cool technique, by the way. And I, I think, you know, in this world where you have Twitter coming at you, you're, you're just wondering what's going on on Facebook. You're trying to watch the news and write and probably be on a phone or maybe record a podcast. Um, focus <laughs> is everything, right? It's everything. And um, I just really appreciate that. But uh, w- what would be your number two? So my number two is vision boards. I try to create a vision board every six months and put it up somewhere where I can see it every single day. And for those of y'all who don't know what a vision board is, it's a either a piece of paper, 8 by 10, or a huge poster board. And you visually cut out um, things from magazines or books or draw things that connect to what you want in the near or far future. So on my vision board, I have things about family, personal, professional, and I see it every single day when I get out of the shower. And that is the constant reminder of how to work towards goals. One of the things on my board, current board, is organization, right? So I think it's very important to be productive. You have to be super, 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 super organized, me anyway. So that's one of the things that I'm working on and getting better at. So that's my second thing. I really believe in the power of vision board. That's really cool in that what what kind of got you here from early on is a tool that you're still using and in, and in a much broader way now as a calling it a vision board. That's um and and organizing as a vision board. Um, 
I've also seen Steve Harvey talk about his uh, his vision boards and in kind of big form, and he gets very specific <laughs> about what he's mm-hmm. envisioning and how he includes them on his um, on his vision boards, and they 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 evolve. It's an interesting conversation. I hope we can maybe we could do a podcast just on the vision boarding process at some point. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah. So just one last question for you. Tell us a little bit about how you spend the first hour of your day. How do you prime yourself for a, a big, successful, awesome day every every morning? Okay, so this is something I've been working on. I'm happy to share. Mm-hmm. Last year, I decided that I wanted to meditate more, um, pray more, and just sit down with myself. Um, as my grandmother says, sit down so that I can just, prepare for a day of serenity. Whatever comes up, I'll just be serene in that. Whether it's conflict, whether it's difficult issues, difficult topics, I'll be ready. So every morning, I'll get up. As soon as I get up, I will um, get on my knees and I'll pray. And then I will um, do about 10 minutes of yoga um, with the calm meditation, uh, Pandora station playing in the background. And I will just... Choose a word to focus on. Um, when I first started, it was just focusing in on silence, but I started to try to find a word to focus on um, for about five minutes in meditation, like still, no music in the background meditation. And it has helped my life tremendously. And I think I was sharing this with you, um, Jason, the last time I saw you in person. And I, when I tell you it's helped so much, it's helped me just be more present throughout the day. When I don't meditate, I can tell that I'm more frantic and I'm less calm. Um, so that's been very, very helpful. And then I go work out. So I usually work out for about 40 minutes to an hour. And um, that really helps with energy, staying fit, and, um, you know, making sure I can walk around in my cute heels. So I get to die. <laughs> That's so awesome, Jada. I, you know, I'm I'm expecting as we do a lot of these conversations that most people, most of the high performers, will talk about med- um, some form of mindfulness, some form of of taking care of themselves. And so I, I just that's I, I find that that trilogy that you just described very, very personally inspiring. So thanks for sharing it. You're welcome. You're welcome. Before we uh, we let you go, share where. Uh, where people can come and uh, and find you on social media or on, on the web. Yes, so you can find me on jadamonicadrew.com. My Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr um, handle is j.drew and spell out dot. So that's J-D-O-T, Drew. And... I think that's it. Email me, jadamonicadrew at gmail.com. Great. Yeah, Jada, th- that's it. J- thank you so much. I wish you a beautiful day, and um, I know that we'll be talking talking more soon. Thank you, Jason. Like this interview? Subscribe to the Leaders Table podcast on SoundCloud. You can also visit www.educationalequity.org slash leaders table for more resources to grow your impact. Tweet us your questions for future interviews at Lee underscore national. Thanks so much. Your host at the leaders table is Jason Urenz. I am your producer, Molly Stevens. And thanks to John Stevens for our music and editing. 